last last Sunday evening, uh, after the the six thirty service, I got a, a lovely little message from somebody in this room. I won't embarrass them. Um, just uh, with it, with you know, nice encouragement in, and and the, the message finished um, just to say, um, Psalm sixteen, where we were last week, my latest favourite psalm. I love that. I love that. I love that because I think it it reminds us uh, that when we open the book of Psalms, there's always something to find and treasure to discover. I find that it's really easy to treat the book of Psalms uh, a bit like that drawer that we all have in our house. Mine's in the utility room next to the washing machine. You know, the drawer you open and you go, wow, that's full of everything. You know, it's where the keys, which you're not sure what they open, they live in there. And the light bulbs and the batteries, whether you think they are dud batteries or alive batteries. You know, you've got the uh, bike pump in there or the puncture repair kit. I don't know what else you'd have in there. Torches, um, you know, a bit of bit of everything. And you dive into that drawer. The super glue is normally in there as well. Uh, and and normally when you when you dive into that drawer, you, you find something you weren't expecting. Oh, I didn't realize that was there. Uh, something you've forgotten was even there. That's where it lives. Or something you, ha- you hold up and you, you just genuinely don't really know what it is or how it works. Or something you didn't even know you had. And I think our experience... There's one in that kitchen, apparently. There's one in the uh, vestry as well. If you, if, you, if you don't know what I'm talking about, I can introduce you to those drawers. Um, and I suspect that's your experience with the Psalms, because it's slightly my experience. Um, and it's why I make no apology... Uh, of just over the years, um, us slowly working through the Psalms. We've reached Psalm 17. Uh, we've been at it for three years. So by my calculation, in the year 2047, we'll be finished. Great. And it's worth going through them because we do discover these things in the Psalms where we go, wow, I wasn't expecting that. Or you've, for- you've forgotten that it was there because we have the usual Psalms that we know and we go to. But then there's the ones where, oh, I've no idea how this one works. Or or something you didn't even know was there. And I just wonder whether uh, Psalm 17 kind of fits into that category uh, for us this evening. Um, I I won't ask you to to tell me, but I wonder when the last time you heard a sermon on Psalm 17 was. Or maybe more correctly, when has anyone ever heard a sermon on Psalm 17 before? There you go, maybe we're breaking new ground. Um, and maybe, maybe by the end of tonight, uh, you'll be saying, Psalm 17, my latest favorite psalm. Or you might go, Tom, you've discovered a psalm in the drawer and you don't know how it works. That is also a risk. Uh, what do we find in Psalm 17? Or what, what did you spot? What did you spot as Judith was reading it? What What was your eye, what was your ear, what was your mind, what was your heart drawn to as those words and verses were read out as you scan through them now? Um, My guess, and I could be wrong, uh, was that most of us probably locked in onto a couple of verses, onto a few verses. Uh, Perhaps it was how the psalm ends, that, that incredible hope that's held in verse 15. As for me. I shall be vindicated and shall see your face. When I awake, I shall be satisfied with seeing your likeness. Um, I think most likely, probably for most of us, probably something around the middle verses, kind of verses 6, 7 and 8, are probably what 
uh, captured you. And at the end, you can tell me, Tom, you're completely wrong. Actually, I, I loved verse 13 or something like that. Um, why do I think our eyes are drawn uh, to 6, 7, and 8? Well, just look at verse 6. And that confidence with which David prays. Doesn't that excite you? Isn't there a bit of you that kind of goes, wow, I wish I could kind of pray with that level of confidence. I call on you, my God, for you will answer me. Turn your ear to me and hear my prayer. I wonder when the last time you started your time of prayer uh, saying something like that. Or, or maybe it was something in, um, in verses 7 and 8, uh, those beautiful and vivid requests. Uh, show me the wonders of your great love. You who save by the right hand those who take refuge in you from their foes. Keep me as the apple of your eye. Hide me in the shadow of your wings. Now, if you're somebody who kind of likes to uh, write in their Bible or underline or get your highlighter pen or doodle or write things, I suspect those are the verses where most of the action would be happening, uh, where your pen would hover. And I think there's something right about there because I think these middle three verses of Psalm 17 feel like they get to the heart of David's prayer. And that's why they make up the heart of Psalm 17. David confidently praying, God, show me the power of your love at work. He's confidently praying, God, show me the power of your love at work. It's clear David's situation is not good. Uh, So verse 9, we hear that the wicked are out to destroy him. Uh, Mortal enemies are surrounding him. Verses 11 and 12, uh, they are those who've tracked him down, they've surrounded him, eyes alert for any any movement of David so they can throw him to the ground. He compares them to a lion, uh, hungry for prey, like that lion you watch on the David Attenborough uh, TV program, bounding over to the poor gazelle who's limping along. Um, They're like a lion, hungry for prey, like a fierce lion crouching in cover. Now, I suspect, uh, looking around the room, none of us are going to find that to be quite the description of Monday morning tomorrow. But it might be. If you were a Christian, maybe in northeast India in uh, Manipur, where following an outbreak of um, fighting over in, in the last, I think it started in May, um, at least 80 Christians have been killed, 400 churches have been burnt down, and 10,000 Christians are currently homeless. Or maybe being a Christian in Eritrea, where um, thousands and thousands of Christians are in jail. Uh, They're often the ones who are selected uh, for beating and for torture. And church leaders often being singled out. Our experience might not be that we're facing lions hungry from prey, like fierce lions crouching in cover. But for brothers and sisters around the world, that is their experience of tomorrow morning. But does that mean there's no kind of place where our lives um, encounter David's experience. I I think there is a place. Uh, And I wonder if the closest experience we we might be coming to in in our experience, in our culture, is in verse 10. There's how David describes it. They close up their callous hearts and their mouths speak with arrogance. Following Jesus will mean that for Christians in every culture, we will be out of step in some areas or lots of areas. And we're going to be out of step with the world around us. When the world around us says, well, to live your best life looks like this. And we turn around and actually to say, 
to live your best life is to follow the Jesus is to follow Jesus' way. Actually, there's going to be some crunch moments, uh, some moments of friction, and when those come, accusations start to come. Mouths speak of speak arrogantly. They start throwing accusations of being intolerant, bigoted, homophobic, unscientific, judgmental, closed-minded. And those accusations might come to us directly or they might come to us indirectly. And in those moments, it's as if the crowd gathers. I guess in our culture, it's less likely to be a crowd that physically gathers. For a lot of people, the experience of this happens online. The crowd gathers. They're not going to tear our houses down or throw us in prison or do even worse. But our experience is the crowd will try and put us to the side or to silence us or just shout loudly at us that we're wrong. And it's in these moments that I think Psalm 17 invites us to join with David, uh, to pray confidently, God, show me the power of your love at work. That's how uh, David is, is praying. He's praying for vindication. He's praying for for justice to be done. But at the heart of his prayer is his prayer, show me the wonders of your great love. Keep me as the apple of your eye. Hide me in the shadow of your wings. And he prays it with such utter confidence. How do you, how do I pray those verses with the same kind of confidence as David? Because David is unique in some sense, isn't he? He was an Old Testament king of God's people. He'd been chosen and anointed. Uh, it was him who was given these great promises of what God would do in the future and that one of his descendants would always be on the throne. Uh, he's got this very unique uh, status that ordinary you, ordinary me don't necessarily have. I mean, how many of us are going to find our names in the history books? And yet, several thousand years after David, we're still talking about him. So how do we, how do we get that same confidence that David had? How do we find that? Well, this is where we need to zoom out, because if you like, we've just been looking at the middle uh, of Psalm 17, haven't we? Uh, And I want you to imagine for a moment that Psalm 17 is a bit like a sandwich. Now, those of you who know me well know I'm a big fan of sandwiches. I have a theory. The theory goes along the lines of any main meal goes well between two bits of bread. Nobody has disproved my theory so far. The The only caveat is soup, where the soup has to go on the either side of the bread. So it's a sort of inverted sandwich. But any main meal goes between two bits of bread. Uh, If you, I don't know, if you just got a sandwich every day at lunchtime, and I take your packed lunch to work or or, or whatever it is, and you've got your sandwich, and you open it up, you eat the filling, put the bread back together, you'd be doing the sandwich wrong, wouldn't you? That's not how you eat a sandwich. And so it's really important with Psalm 17. Our instinct might be to dive into the middle because... We love that, don't we? Show me the wonders of your great love. Keep me as the apple of your eye. We're drawn to those verses. And yet to make sense of those verses, in order to pray them confidently, we need to see what comes before and what comes after. We need to make sense of the, if you sort of like the bread that's holding the filling. If we're to pray with confidence, God, show me the power of your love at work, uh, we first of all need to see David begins his prayer with his head held high. I don't know if you notice that as, as Judith read it. He had his head held high. And maybe this sounds counterintuitive, the opposite of how we're supposed to approach God. But just listen again to, to David. He says, hear me, Lord. My plea is just. Listen to my cry. Hear my prayer. 
it does not rise from deceitful lips. Then in, in verse 3, it's as if um, David says to God, do, do a full scan of my heart. Uh, not the beating thing that puts the blood around our bodies, but the sort of his soul. Um, see, David says, I've, I've planned no evil. My mouth hasn't spoken of what it should not. Verse 4, he says, I've, I've, ne- I've not taken a bribe. I've kept myself away from violence. Verse 5, I've sought to follow your ways. And maybe our instinct is to slightly back off David and go, are you not blowing your own trumpet here? Is there not a risk of sort of waving your arms at God and saying, look how well I've done, will you answer my prayer? And that should sound wrong to us, because it is. Is, Is David really claiming here that he's never done anything wrong? I mean, we know the story of David. If this was written before Bathsheba, he's being naive. If it was written after Bathsheba, I mean, he's making it up, right? So what is he doing? It seems to me that that David isn't saying that he's lived a perfect life, but he's always sought to live a life devoted to God, by going God's way, a life of integrity. And it's clear from David's story that he did get things wrong, but what did he do in those moments? He returned. He turned back to the Lord. He sought God's mercy, God's forgiveness. Go and read Psalm 51. We can pray, God, show me the power of your love at work with David when we're able to hold our heads up high as we begin our prayer. When we realize we can do that, not because you and I have lived perfect lives, or we can show an impressive sort of highlights reel. Instead, we can show a life that is seeking to trust Jesus, to follow in his ways, and when we fail, to lean on his forgiveness. To know that when God looks at us, he doesn't see our fears, he doesn't see our failures, he doesn't see our frustrations. What does he see? He sees his son, whom he loves, with whom he is well pleased. He sees righteousness. He sees perfection. And so for us to be confident to pray, God, show me the power of your love at work, comes from knowing who we are, that we belong to Jesus, and we can have our heads held high. This evening, you can hold your heads high. Listen to how the author, um, the writer to the Hebrews puts it in chapter 4. He talks about approaching God's throne of grace with confidence. Not nervously. Not kind of hiding back or holding back. With confidence, with your head held high. So that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. If we want to join David in, in praying, show me the wonders of your great love. Keep me as the apple of your eye. First of all, we need God to lift up our heads and we hold them high, knowing that we belong to Jesus. And in him, God sees his son in our lives. So if that's the, the start, if that's the, the top layer of bread, what's, what's the bottom layer of bread? Um, what helps us uh, in, the, in the end of the psalm to be praying along with David, God, show me the power of your love at work? Well, it means as we hold our heads high, we also have high hopes for the future. Isn't that what David is saying at the end of the psalm? He asks, first of all, doesn't he, for, for God to, to rise up in judgment on those who oppose him. Not just because they're opposing David, but all that David stands for, the God he stands for, and his plans and his purposes. David sees in verse 14, doesn't he, that they are those of this world whose reward is in this life. 
They are living only with the here and now in view, doing everything within their power to get as much as they can and to get as far as they can in this life alone. And in doing so, completely miss the God who gives them life, who gives them everything they have, uh, and who is there. What happens as a result? Well, it's a way of life that catches up with you. David prays, may what you have stored up for the wicked fill their bellies, may their children gorge themselves on you, and may there be leftovers for their little ones. And, and perhaps that feels really difficult to pray. It sounds wrong to pray. But actually, if, if your enemies are gathering around you, it's the overflow of sort of righteous anger. God, will you deal with the mess and the, the people who are just so far from you and are seeking to undo everything? This way of life is a way that will catch up with you. You'll ultimately get everything you wanted because you get everything in this life and you have nothing to come. That is unless, of course, Jesus catches up with you first. Uh, and Jesus changes everything, doesn't he? And he gives you high hopes, a hope for the future like David has. Uh, and in verse 15, what, what a great hope. Ultimate vindication. As for me, I shall be vindicated and shall see your face. Seeing Jesus face to face. That, that is the highest hope that any believer has. And just think about it. A loved one that you've not seen for a long time. Maybe you've been apart for, for whatever reason. The phone call's great. In this day and age, FaceTime or the video call is brilliant. But isn't the best when you're face to face with each other again? Think of a, a I don't know, a, a relation who lives on the other side of the world that you've not seen for, for years in and that joy of seeing them face to face. If we feel that about a relation who lives across the world, how much more should we feel it about the eternal Son of God who was loved and is loved by his Father through all eternity, taking on human likeness, and then willingly stepping sort of sideways from that love that is his so that he could bear our penalty for us. See, Jesus ultimately is the one who could truly say, show me the wonders of your great love. Keep me as the apple of your eye. Hide me in the shadow of your wings. If anybody was ever the apple of God the Father's eye, it's God the Son. And yet the great plan of salvation was for Jesus to step out of that place so that he could deal with everything that should come our way so we don't have to. That is how we get... A high hope. That is how we have that confidence. So as we read Psalm 17, we can join in the invitation to say and pray with David, show me the power of your love at work. We can have our heads held high. We can have high hopes for the future. We can pray, show me the wonders of your great love. We can pray, God, you are the God of wonders. You're the God who acted with power to rescue your people out of Egypt. You're the one who raised Jesus from the dead. You're the one who's filled your people with your Holy Spirit. Continue to show us the power of your love in our lives. Would there be stories, we pray, of people we know, we spend time with, who we're praying for coming to faith in Jesus? That we would know again and again that our God is the God who lovingly provides. If you weren't here 
Uh, this morning I was sharing um, a story of somebody who came to church last Sunday morning. Uh, he's recently moved into, into the area, didn't have a fridge, came to church needing a fridge. Somebody sat behind him, had never met before. What did he have in the boot of his car? A fridge. How does that happen? Show me the wonders of your great love. We need to know that you're a God who provides for your people. The fridge in the boot kind of God. That you're the God who will show the wonders of your great love to the next generation. And we pray that as we look forward to Hungerton Camp opening over the summer, our youth camp up at Dixon Farm. Uh, we pray it with uh, our eyes on the Living Hope um, Holiday Club coming up. And we pray, keep me as the apple of your eye. Hide me in the shadow of your wings. We're praying, God, keep me. Keep us safe. Because we're your treasured possession. Not a prayer for an easy life. But that God would keep us and keep you to the end. If you belong to Jesus, you are, this evening, the apple of God's eye. I just think about that. That means the, the very middle of your eye, the, the pupil. And just think how many defense mechanisms your body has to protect your eye. There's the eyebrow, the eyelid, the eyelash, the tear ducts, the cheekbone, the instant reflex of anything that comes near your eye. Now, I can tell you, I once got a metal splinter in my eye and I had to go to the eye hospital and they sort of clamp your face and, and hold you there and these tweezers come towards you. And I tell you, all my defense mechanisms were working overdrive. It was not a pleasant experience. Your body wants to protect your eye. Oh God treats us like that. He treats you like that this evening. What a picture of how protective God is over his people. How protective God is over you and over me. Because we belong to Jesus. So we can have our heads held high. We can have high hopes. And we join in with David. That show me the wonders of your great love. Keep me as the apple of your eye. And so, Heavenly Father, we do want to join in uh, with David this evening. Thank you that you've brought us to that place where we can because we belong to Jesus. Thank you that our heads can be held high. Thank you that you've given us the, the highest of hopes to see Jesus face to face one day. And when he returns or he calls us home. And Lord, we pray this evening, truly and deeply, that you would show me you would show us the wonders of your great love. Would you keep me? Would you keep us as the apple of your eye? Amen.